Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you could head over to the YouTube channel every Wednesday for the visual version or every Tuesday on Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts for the audio version. For today's case, we're going to be talking about the case of Stephen and Katie Pledet. Now, there is a lot to get through, so we're just gonna hop right into it. Starting off with Stephen Pladell, there really isn't much about his backstory online. All we really know is that in 1995, at the age of 20 years old, is when he met 15-year-old Alyssa Garcia. Alyssa and Stephen met through an online chat room, and at first, they were just kind of casual friends until they started to text every single day, and then one thing led to another. They started having phone conversations with each other every night and then later on the couple would then date and furthermore confess their love to one another. Now Alyssa's parents obviously did not like this relationship because Stephen was 20 and Alyssa was only 15. She was like a sophomore in high school barely starting her life but since Alyssa was so young she wasn't really old enough to see all of the abuse, all of the grooming, all of the manipulation that Stephen was putting onto her because Stephen knew that there was a problem with their relationship because he never ever spoke to Alyssa's family. He never told anyone about his relationship with Alyssa. He kept it very secret and there was actually a couple of times where Stephen would fly out from his home in New York all the way to San Antonio where Alyssa was just to meet up with her in secret and even have sexual relations with her. And so as Alyssa and Stephen's relationship pursued, it just got way too out of hand to the point where Alyssa felt that she was deeply, deeply in love with Stephen and she would do anything for Stephen and that's exactly what she did. She ran away at the age of 15 away from her home in San Antonio and she ran off to New York to live with Stephen. In doing so, she cut off her entire family and all of her friends from San Antonio because none of her friends or family was approving of this relationship, thought that it was a really messed up situation, especially what Stephen was doing to young Alyssa. But nonetheless, Alyssa did indeed move out to New York and lived with Stephen. And then two years into their relationship in 1998 is when Alyssa grew pregnant with their first child at the age of 17 years old. And then on January 29th of 1998, that is when Alyssa would give birth to her and Stephen's daughter named Denise Pladell. Wasn't until after Denise was born where Alyssa started to see some really big red flags with Stephen. She said that prior to having Denise, Stephen was very loving, he was very caring, he was very kind, they had a lot in common, he was funny, but then as soon as Denise was born, she started to see some really concerning traits along with Stephen. Stephen would then go on to frequently abuse Denise, and Alyssa would later speak to a news outlet saying, quote, he would do things like cover her mouth when she would cry. He pinched her all over her body until she turned black and blue a couple of times. Eventually, he said he couldn't stand the screaming and crying anymore, so he started placing her into a cooler or an ice chest. Sometimes he would put a blanket in there to keep a crack open. Sometimes he would shut it and wouldn't let me go back to open it. He would make me wait a few minutes until I could go back and I'd open the cooler and she'd just be gasping for air 
hair drenched in sweat and bruises on her. I would scoop her up and shut the bedroom door so he couldn't bother me, and I would rock her back and forth and tell her how sorry I was for the life that she was having. And so at this point, Alyssa knew that this was not a safe environment for Denise to grow up in, and so she had to make a tough decision to either put Denise up for adoption or attempt at running away with Denise and leaving Stephen. But as I said, Alyssa at this time is just a 17-year-old girl. Like, she's not even an adult yet. So even if she wanted to get a place of her own or even like rent out a motel room, she couldn't because she wasn't old enough to do so. And also, she had cut off all of her family and friends to be with Stephen. She was in a whole different state where she knew absolutely no one. But Alyssa eventually had to come up with a decision and when Denise was eight months old, that's when she decided to put her up for adoption. It's when she put her up for adoption because Alyssa knew that Denise could not have a good life living with Stephen. And so when she was put up for adoption, Denise was in fact adopted by a new family, Anthony and Kelly Fusco, and they renamed her Katie Rose Fusco. And so from this point on, I'm going to start referring to her as Katie rather than Denise, but just know like they're the same girl. As far as the Fusco family, Katie's adoptive family, the father, Anthony, he was an officer for the New York State Department of Corrections, and her mother, Kelly, was actually a secretary for the New York's land use department. He raised Katie in a trailer park in Dover, New York, before later getting a house in the suburbs. And as for Katie's life, Katie went on to live a happy, healthy, normal life away from her biological family. She loved animals. She was actually vegetarian and she also and one of her favorite hobbies was to find stray cats and bring them into her home and basically just raise them back to health. She would bring them to the vet and she was also super young when she was doing this, like 15, 16 years old. And so caring for something like a cat or healing a cat back to life, that is like a lot of work. That's something that you need to know or have a lot of knowledge about. And Katie loved doing it. She was also a hardcore feminist and she would frequently wear like feminist t-shirts. She would attend a protest for women's rights. Katie was also extremely creative. Her passion in life was art. Art was something that she really, really wanted to do and she even posted to her social media saying, quote, pen and something to draw on became a safe place for me. Ink became my weapon against rules and regulations. There wouldn't be a corner in a classroom or park that didn't have a secret little character living on it. Ask an artist why creating is important to them and they won't ever stop giving out reasons. To be short, for me, a life without art is no life at all. So as you can tell from just that alone, Katie was a very smart girl. Not only creative, but extremely intelligent, extremely mature for her age. She was very known in school as well for her artistic abilities. She also uh, did comic strips for
for her school newspaper that she was very well known for. Katie also had really big dreams for herself to, you know, pursue this life with art. And while she was in high school, she actually planned after her graduation that she was going to go to Dutchess Community College and then afterwards go to SUNY Purchase in New York City, majoring in digital advertising. Although on the outside, it seemed like Katie just had it all. Katie, she was a hardcore feminist. She stood up for what she believed in. She was smart. She was funny. She was creative. But on the inside, there was one impending question on her, and that was who her biological family was. She was just very curious to know who her birth parents were, you know, just the typical questions of like, do I look like them? Do I act like them? Is this the reason why I think? Is this the reason why I do this thing? Typically, if you grow up with your birth parents, if you notice that you do or say things and you don't really understand why, and then all of a sudden you see one of your parents do or say that same exact thing that you do, you can kind of look at that and be like, oh, that's where I got that from, or that's how I inherited that. But with Katie, there was nowhere for her to turn. She felt very isolated in all of her feelings and emotions, and she couldn't really find, you know, why she did the things that she did or why she thought the way that she thought. And so because of this, in an attempt to find herself, she was trying to find her biological parents. And so as far as Stephen and Alyssa, a Katie's biological parents, shortly after giving Katie slash Denise up for adoption, that is when Alyssa decided to stay with Stephen. And the couple eventually got married in 2006 when Stephen was 31 and Alyssa was 26. And then they eventually moved out of New York and moved to Richmond, Virginia. And then after moving to Richmond, Virginia, they moved again to Enrico, North Carolina. And so you're probably thinking, why would Alyssa have more kids with this man? Clearly, he is not a good father. He attempted at murdering Katie when she was just a baby. Why would she go ahead and have more kids with him? Alyssa said that she felt like Stephen really, really changed. And she also says that Stephen, he does not treat their two new daughters as bad as he did Katie. But although it wasn't as bad as Katie, it was a very, he was still a terrible father to these two girls. And it only got worse with time. He would become more and more violent and unpredictable. There was this one incident where his oldest daughter was three at the time and she had actually wet herself. And so instead of, you know, comforting her and cleaning her up, Stephen started screaming at his three-year-old daughter while she was crying. And then he picked her up and placed her in the bathtub and forced her to stand in there for hours until Alyssa got home so that she could clean it up. Alyssa said that when she got home, she found her daughter shaking in the bathtub and said to her, quote, can I please come out now, mommy? Alyssa actually came out to a news outlet saying, quote, he didn't care that she was up there crying by herself, trembling in a bathroom covered in urine. And so because of his temper, Stephen was unable to hold a job, leading Alyssa to work several jobs just to keep them afloat. And so while she was working all day, that is when she would leave Stephen with the kids. And leaving Stephen with the kids was the worst idea in the world because Stephen 
husband would frequently abuse these kids all day long and over time Steven's behavior would just get worse and worse. He would frequently have violent outbursts on the daily where he would throw furniture, punch walls, and spend hours screaming over the smallest of things and Alyssa actually said quote I was always on eggshells. Whatever his mood was, everybody knew, and that mood was often not happy. A lot of yelling, a lot of things smashed in front of the house and in front of our kids. And it also didn't help that Steven was a very big fan of guns, and he actually owned around four or five different guns. And there was also another incident that Alyssa had told a news outlet where this one time a neighbor's cat had actually wandered into uh, Alyssa and Steven's garage and Steven didn't like cats and so instead of just picking up the cat and bringing it over to the neighbor's house, he instead decided to beat the cat to death with tools with his hands before throwing the cat into a garbage bag and just throwing it in the regular garbage can outside. He literally beat it to death with his own hands and maybe some tools, wrapped it up in a trash bag and put it into the garbage just because he didn't like cats. Alyssa's oldest daughter also had special needs and frequently Stephen would, to his daughter's face, call her the R word, call her stupid and slow. And I know after telling all of you this, you're probably thinking, why is Alyssa staying? Like clearly this situation is terrible for everyone involved. Why is she choosing to stay? And I honestly don't think, you know, Alyssa's happy about staying. I think that if leaving was an easy option, she would take that option. But sometimes in DV relationships or domestic violent relationships, it's very hard to leave. It's a lot easier said than done. And Alyssa was working all day long, barely spending any time with her kids and nowhere to turn, even if she were to run away. And with Steven, violent outburst, it was very unpredictable as to what he would do if she were to run away with the kids and even worse if she was found or caught running away with the kids. And when I was reading up about this case, there was actually a Reddit post that said, quote, as someone who works with DV survivors, I think we're missing an important piece here when we question why the mom stayed. She was probably terrified to leave and probably also stuck in a trauma bond. When people are in abusive relationships, they have moments of clarity and in a moment of clarity her mom made the right choice and placed her daughter for adoption but she likely stayed after that because of the abuse it takes a victim an average of seven times to leave their abuser leaving is often the most dangerous time in a dv relationship i think parents have a duty to protect their kids and parents going through dv often fail in that respect People can make bad choices or even be bad people and still be abused. I have empathy for her mom because she tried her best with the circumstances that she was in. So who knows what Alyssa was thinking or if she was even thinking at all, but at the end of the day, just because there are restrictions or different factors as to why she doesn't leave or why she can't leave, that doesn't make this, you know, behavior acceptable. It doesn't make the abuse acceptable or that 
that it gets a pass. At the end of the day, abuse is abuse no matter who is the abuser, no matter who is getting abused and leaving your kids all day long with your abuser and having your kids being traumatized the same way that Steven had traumatized Alyssa and continues to traumatize Alyssa, that is a terrible thing at the end of the day, no matter what angle you look at it. But in the same aspect, again, if leaving was an easy option, I don't doubt that Alyssa would leave. And then later down the road, that is when uh, Alyssa and Steven's relationship just got worse and worse to the point where they weren't even sleeping in the same bed anymore. Steven would sleep on the couch every night while Alyssa slept in the bed in their bedroom. This is the point of their lives that they were at when Katie was trying to search for them. So going back to where Katie's at, Katie is in search of her biological parents. She's in search of answers about her and scrolling through Facebook is where she actually finds her biological mother, Alyssa. And so she messages Alyssa. Over the next year, the two of them would talk almost daily, just about everything, about life, about art, about their similarities, about their differences, just about everything. Alyssa loved Katie and Katie loved Alyssa. And then of the following year, in June of 2016, after her graduation, at the age of 18 years old, that is when Katie would fly out to North Carolina all the way from New York to visit her biological family. And Katie said that when she met her family for the first time, she absolutely loved her family. She loved her two sisters, her two little sisters at the time. They were both 7 and 11 years old. So they were like her younger sisters and she had a very close relationship with her mother. She was starting to heal that relationship with her father and it's still unsure as to why Katie chose this but she actually made a pretty big decision to take a gap year from going to college how she had that plan to go to the Duchess Community College after high school she decided to take a gap year and take that year in North Carolina living with her biological family her adoptive parents and what they thought about this her adoptive parents were not aware of any of the abuse going on in the household at this point. Those were all things that were done behind closed doors. Like Katie would see some things sometimes, but she wasn't aware of the extent of it all. And neither did her adoptive family. And so when her adoptive family heard that she wanted to take a gap year in North Carolina, they just kind of thought, you know, Katie's 18 years old. She's an adult. She can make her own decisions. And we know that she's smart. She's responsible. She's mature. We know that she's going to make the right decisions and it's only for a year you know she'll be back home soon so it's not going to be that big of a deal and also Katie has the right to know who her biological family is if this is something that she wants she has every right to learn more about her family and learn more about where she came from and so her adoptive family was pretty supportive of Katie's decision so that's exactly what happened Katie picked up all of her things in New York and moved to North Care and moved to Enrico, North Carolina to live with her biological family. And at the time, Katie was aware of the separate living situations, how Stephen was sleeping on the couch and Alyssa was sleeping in their bedroom. Katie was able to get her own room and Alyssa was so excited to live with Katie because this was something that she could have never imagined. When she gave Katie up for adoption, she was set that that was the last time she was ever
ever going to see her. And so having her in the house and seeing her every day and waking up to her and talking to her every day, like this was just a dream come true for Alyssa. But since Alyssa did work all day, she didn't really spend much time with Katie as much as she would like. And since Katie, this was her moving to a different state, she didn't really have a job or a school to go to just yet. She would stay at home all day long with her biological father, Stephen, and her two younger sisters. And at first, Alyssa saw this relationship as very wholesome. You know, Katie and Stephen are just trying to make up for lost time. They're creating this father-daughter bond that they never had before. They're just becoming extremely close with one another. But that was until Alyssa started to see some very questionable behavior that kind of treaded the line between, you know, father-daughter relationship. Alyssa noticed that shortly after Katie got there, Stephen, prior to, you know, Katie moving in, he looked like a typical dad. He had this, like, huge beard. He wore this, like, dad fit, you know, the cargo pants with the t-shirt. He wore, like, those dad sunglasses. He just looked like a typical guy. But shortly after Katie moved in, Alyssa noticed that Stephen completely changed his style. He shaved off his beard. He let his hair grow out long. He started wearing different clothes like tight t-shirts and tight jeans, trying to look younger essentially. And six weeks after Katie moved in, that's when Alyssa started to notice that Stephen was no longer sleeping on the couch. He was now sleeping on the floor of Katie's bedroom. And this made Alyssa very uncomfortable. And so she let Katie know, like, I'd be careful around Stephen because I don't want you to forget that this is the same guy that almost attempted at murdering you as a baby. So I just want to make sure you know about all of that. She just kind of shrugged it off and was like, oh, that's, you know, that's in the past. Stephen is a changed man. He would never, ever do anything to hurt me. I trust him. And so from that response, you can definitely tell that Katie is being manipulated and groomed by Stephen the same way that Stephen manipulated and groomed Alyssa when she was 15 years old. Although Katie was aware of Stephen's abusive past and his violent outburst, she saw past all of that and she started to believe that she was truly in love with Stephen. Also, Alyssa was gone at work all day long, so who knows what was being said and done when she was at work. Stephen could easily switch the narrative. He could easily say, Alyssa is actually the one that's super abusive. Alyssa is the one that abuses the children and she's always doing this and she's always doing that and she's this terrible person and of course Katie is going to believe whatever Stephen says because she's being groomed by this man. What's even creepier is that when you look at old photos of Alyssa when she was younger and the photos of Katie as a current 18 year old, both of them look very very similar. And so one day Alyssa just said enough is enough and she went up to Stephen and she confronted Stephen about sleeping on Katie's floor and asked him, you know, what's going on? I don't like what's happening. And this sparked up a huge argument between not just Stephen and Alyssa, but Katie as well. Katie was getting involved in this argument and she was sticking up for Stephen. And at the end of this argument, it ended with Stephen and Katie storming out of the house and driving away. And then in November of 2016, three months after this major argument, that 
that is when Alyssa finally got up the courage to leave Stephen. She packed up all of her things, she took her two daughters, and she left and filed for divorce. And so when she left, that led Stephen and Katie all of their alone time and the whole house to themselves. And so Stephen and Katie, shortly after Alyssa left, began to just live with one another like a typical couple. And since Stephen still had like custody over his two daughters, his two daughters would come over to the house on the weekends. And one day Alyssa was cleaning up her oldest daughter's room. Um, her daughter at this point was 11 years old. She's cleaning up her room and she sees her daughter's journal. And for some reason, Alyssa just has this gut feeling that she needs to open it. She opens up the journal and when she goes to this one entry, as Alyssa was reading her 11-year-old's diary, it said that her father, Stephen, was not just making her and her little seven-year-old sister revert to Katie as their stepmom and not their big sister, but also Katie was pregnant with Stephen's child. And so there is a photo that attaches to this, but since it's written by an 11-year-old, the handwriting is a little bit hard to read, but there is one entry where it says, quote, she is pregnant and gained weight and my dad calls her baby also his baby. Did he make her pregnant? My dad even says that she's my stepmom, WTF. He doesn't even want me to call her sister anymore. Katie is my sister. She's probably his wife now, but in nature, she's only my sister. Does she see me as a daughter or a sister? Katie now tells me sometimes to quote, get the F up. And so after Alyssa reads this, she is just in complete shock because like this isn't even a stepdad stepdaughter situation. This is biological, a hundred percent related. And now he has a child with her. And so immediately after learning this information, Alyssa calls Stephen. And Alyssa to this conversation says, quote, I called him and I said, so there was something in this journal that I should be concerned about. I said, is Katie pregnant with your baby? He said, I thought you already knew. I just tore into him. I was screaming. I said, is this why you've been trying to rush our divorce? Are you trying to marry her? And he said, yes. He said that his mother knew. He said Katie's adoptive parents knew and that they didn't like it at first, but they've all come to accept it. After hearing this information, that is when Alyssa hangs up the phone and immediately calls the police. On May 31st of 2017, that is when the police had opened up an investigation on Stephen and Katie and began by interviewing the two young girls. The sisters told the police that Katie and Stephen did sleep in the same bed, Katie was pregnant with their father's child, and they also, all four of them, sat down and had a conversation where their dad told them to stop calling Katie big sister and instead start calling her mom. And on top of all of that, Stephen had told the girls to make sure to keep this relationship a secret or else people at school were going to make fun of them. No arrests were made immediately, but shortly after the investigation opened, Stephen and Katie moved from their home in Enrico, North Carolina to Knightsdale, North Carolina, where they got their own place together and just opened openly started living with each other as a couple. They would hold hands in public, they would kiss 
in public. They were very just not shy of their relationship. July 20th of 2017, that is when Katie had posted to her Instagram and her Facebook saying that she just tied the knot with her biological father. The couple had gotten married and in these wedding photos, you can see Katie's eight-month pregnant stomach and her wedding was held at a venue in Parkton, Maryland. And so you're probably thinking, how did they exactly get married? Isn't this incest? Incest is illegal. Well, Katie and Stephen actually lied on their marriage uh, forms so that they could get married. Even crazier, at this wedding and in the wedding photos, you can see Katie and Stephen posing with Stephen's mom and Katie's adoptive parents. They were all in attendance to this wedding and no one thought that it was wrong. And mind you, everyone in that room was well aware that Katie and Stephen were biologically related. They knew that they were together. They knew that they were married. They knew that Katie's child was also Stephen's child, yet no one stepped in and said that this is wrong. Kelly, if you remember, was Katie's biological mother, Kelly's brother actually came out and said that Katie's adoptive parents were aware of everything, but they knew that there was nothing they could do or say about it because if they tried to separate the two of them, they would find a way to be with each other, and so all they can really do is accept it and be supportive of Katie. But that comment is kind of odd because there are things you can do. Like, I don't know, literally just call the police. Call the police, tell them they lied, and that is the end of that. And another really creepy part about all of this is that Edie and Steven look alike. They have the same eyes, they have the same nose, they have the same hair color, they have the same like deep-setted features. They look like father and daughter. On September 1st of 2017, that is when Katie would give birth to her and Stephen's child, a son named Bennett. And then on January 27th of 2018, that is when arrest warrants were made for Stephen and Katie and both of them were arrested and charged with incest, adultery, and contributing to delinquency. Bennett was then placed in the hands of Stephen's 72 mother, Grace. And so obviously after these arrests were made, it made huge headlines because it's not every day that you see a 19-year-old girl marrying her biological 42-year-old father and then furthermore moving in with him and then furthermore having a child with him. So because of all of the public backlash against Stephen, that is when Stephen decided to hire a lawyer for more just damage control and then his lawyer came out and said, quote, this case is an 18-year-old girl who shows up at the doorstep of a 40-year-old man who's going through difficult times with his wife. They have a bond because they are biologically related, but they never knew each other before they had a sexual relationship. He was head over heels in love with her, so much so that he had outweighed the issue of them being biologically related. I'm sorry, the issue? You mean the crime? You mean the actual crime? 
aren't you a lawyer? Like, but weirdly enough, there were a lot of people that were actually in favor of Stephen and Katie's relationship. There was actually even a GoFundMe made to help Stephen and Katie get out of jail. And all of the comments and everyone donating to this GoFundMe were saying like, oh, they're just two consenting adults in love. Like, who cares if they're biologically related? They used to do it back in the day. Just all these people so detached from reality. Then with the help of their GoFundMe, Stephen and Katie were released out on bail, but there was a court order that prevented the two from seeing each other. And so that means Katie had to move back home to New York. But as for Stephen, he was actually barred from North Carolina. So he could not live in North Carolina. So while awaiting trial, he was living in a hotel room in Virginia. But for some reason, North Carolina had lifted his like restrictions from coming to North Carolina. And so when that happened, he moved back to his regular house in North Carolina. And it just so happened to be down the street from his mother. And his mother was currently in custody of Bennett, his son. And so although there was restrictions from him seeing Katie, there was no restrictions of him seeing Bennett. And furthermore, even taking Bennett. And that's exactly what he did. On April 11th, 2018, at around 7 p.m., that is when Stephen would call his mother Grace and told her that he was on his way to pick up Bennett because him and Bennett were going to drive to New York City to bring him to Katie so that Katie can take care of him while both of them were awaiting trial. But unfortunately, Stephen wouldn't take Bennett to New York to see Katie because earlier that day, Katie had actually called Stephen and told him that she wanted a divorce. She says that she's come to her senses and she realizes that this relationship is not going to work. No matter how much they try, this relationship is taking too much from her. She feels like she's doing a lot more fighting for the relationship than she is enjoying the relationship and it's just not healthy for her. She wants to go back to school. She wants to do art again. She wants to do digital advertising and she just wants wants her life back while she's still so young to enjoy it. It kind of seemed like Katie, when given distance from Stephen, because since Stephen couldn't have any contact with her, that basically left Katie room to think for herself for once. And when thinking for herself and when detaching herself from the situation, that's when she realizes like, oh my God, what did I just get myself into? And so when she comes to her senses, that's when she realizes like, no, I can't do this anymore. I need to get a divorce. I need to get my life back on track. Who am I anymore? But Stephen did not take this news lightly at all. He began to scream at her and snap at her. And so while still in his fit of rage, that is when he decides to try to hurt Katie the same way that Katie had hurt him. That is when he drove to his mom's house to pick up Bennett. And instead of bringing Bennett to Katie, he brought Bennett back to his house. That is when he would shoot and kill his eight-month child, Bennett. There's no outright, like, source saying that Bennett was shot because since Bennett is obviously a minor, a lot of those medical records are not to the public, but a lot of articles and other things allude to Bennett being shot. After he had shot Bennett to death, he shoved his body into a closet. After shoving Bennett's dead 
body into a closet, he got in his car and drove all night long over 600 miles all the way to New York to see Katie. And he got to Katie's house and he parked across the street. There was like a liquor store. So he just parked in the parking lot of that liquor store and watched her house. Then on Thursday of April 12th, since he had been driving all night, it's now the next day. That is when Steven sees Anthony and Katie leave the house to go to Katie's grandmother's house. And this was a routine that Steven knew that they had every Tuesday and Thursday. Um, Katie's dad would drive Katie all the way out to Waterbury, Connecticut, where Katie's adoptive grandmother lived because uh, Katie's grandmother would pay Katie to clean her house twice a week. And so that is what they were doing this day. So then when Anthony and Katie left, that is when um, Steve, that is when Stephen also left and followed close behind. As he was following the both of them, Anthony and Katie had got to a red light and that's when Stephen pulled up next to them and started to open fire before just driving away. That is when 20-year-old Katie Fusco and her father, 56-year-old Anthony Fusco, was declared dead on scene. They were shot multiple times in the torso and head with an AR-15 style weapon and so when this happened the police immediately started to look for the vehicle that opened fire and they wouldn't find this vehicle until the very next day about 25 minutes away from where the shooting had happened. The car was found in Dover, New York but unfortunately inside of the car was the dead body of Stephen Pladell. Had died due to a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head and they didn't find Stephen's body until the next day after the shooting around 9.15 a.m. And the only reason they found the car was because Stephen had actually made a phone call to his mom, Grace, at around 8.45 a.m., basically just confessing to everything. He said that he killed Anthony he killed his son, he killed Katie, and now he plans to kill himself. And so when Grace, his mom, hears this, she immediately calls the police. And so when she calls the police, the police act very quickly to try to find Stephen, to try to see where he's at, to make sure that he doesn't hurt anyone else. But when they did find Stephen, he was already dead in his car. Knightsdale Police Department also came out about the situation and they said, quote, we are heartbroken and saddened over the death of this child. And like you, we are trying to make sense of all of the factors that led up to this senseless taking of life. So when this information came out that Katie and her dad were shot in their car by Stephen, who was also dead, this information got back to Alyssa and Alyssa felt very indifferent about it. But the main thing that she was angry about was the fact that the court had allowed Stephen to see Bennett. Alyssa would come out to a news outlet saying, quote, I can understand they like to put children in the hands of relatives, but not Grace. She wouldn't have been able to stop him from seeing the baby even if she wanted to. 
Stephen may have found a way to get to him, but they could have certainly have made things much more difficult for him. I think they could have helped prevent some, if not all of this. If anyone is brought up on the charges of incest, they should never be allowed near minor children. They did not consider how sick of a mind he had. I also feel like Stephen should have been given some sort of psychiatric exam before his release because if you are knowingly and voluntarily marrying your 19 year old biological daughter there's clearly something going on like that that is not a healthy thing to be thinking clearly there's something wrong there's something that needs to be looked at yet he was never given any sort of psychiatric test before being released Melissa also came out and said that the police were supposed to seize all of uh, Stephen's guns when they were checking out Stephen's home and they were able to seize some of his guns but not all of them and Alyssa even told the police to make sure to really dig in the house and find all of the guns because she doesn't doubt that he probably has some guns that are in hidden compartments which he did because that was the gun that he used to kill Ben it with. Lisa also told the police at the time of searching Stephen's house that Stephen was unpredictable and she knew that he had murderous slash violent tendencies ever since she called the police about the incest. Since Stephen and Katie are dead, there was no trial. There was nothing further from this. Bennett was also murdered as well, so there was no custody trial or custody battle. It was just a story that ended in a really gruesome way. As for today, Alyssa, Katie's mother, still speaks out to the media every once in a while about domestic violent relationships, how she feels very guilty about everything that she did, how she feels terrible about all the decisions that she made, but she was just under the spell of her abuser and she basically made choices thinking that they were hers, but in reality, they were just Stevens the entire time. So she still comes out to the media every once in a while. As for Katie's adoptive family, they have stayed very low about everything. But yeah, that is the end of today's story. If you guys found this video interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you're on YouTube or if you're on Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts, make sure to rate it five stars because that really helps me out a lot. If you want to follow me on any of my socials, like my Instagram, that will be linked down below, as well as my PO box if you want to send me any thing. But yeah, that's all for me. As always, I love you. I love you. I love you. Be safe out there and I will see you guys next week. Bye.